You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. We are live here on the MMA Industry Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, James Lynch. And today is March 29th, and I've got a great guest here today. You know, we're always trying to switch things up here on the show. I get a lot of journalists on the show, but today I've got one of my uh, favorite managers that I like speaking with on a regular basis. He, of course, works with the likes of, uh, you know, Chase Sherman and uh, Luis Pena, who you're going to see on the upcoming season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, It is Matt Weibel joining me here on the program for the very first time. Matt, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm glad to be on. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. And I should also mention you work for a first round management, which is one of the uh, prestigious management companies out there. And you also do uh, matchmaking for Summit Fighting Championships. And we'll get into all that in a sec. But I always like to start off the show with how I know my guests. And you and I have never met in person, although I'm sure at some point we will uh, cross paths uh, in person. But I'm trying to remember the first time we talked. It was it was it would have been with Chase uh, Sherman when he was in Titan. Am I right? Or would have been maybe after that? It was, I believe it was probably Chase Sherman and Titan. Um, may have been Matt Schnell as well. I'm not 100% sure. But no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I remember working with Matt as well. So that, that's interesting. Yeah, anyways, long story short, Matt and I go uh, way back, uh, you know, a couple of years now. So it's been uh, great to get a chance to work for uh, work with him, I should say. Um, but I want to go all the way to the, to the beginning, man. Uh, how did you first get involved in combat sports, whether it was as a fan or even just working in the industry? Um, I got started in combat sports in 2010, I believe. Um, you know, we were in high school and we wanted to do the whole fighting in the backyard stuff. So, uh, one of my best friends uh, at the time, Matt Robinson, um, introduced me to the sport and, um, I started training at his gym, had a couple fights, um, couple amateur fights. And then I, you know, really liked the business side of it more than the fighting side. I always loved to train. But I started getting into the business side. I started learning from some of the best. Um, uh, Rod Galvin actually helped me get my first uh, matchmaking job. And then um, I'm sure you know Jeff Mullen, who's a UFC judge all the time. He actually helped me get um, another matchmaking job. And we just kept rolling from there. And then I ended up getting into management uh, a little further on. Yeah, and we'll get into all that because obviously you have a pretty interesting story. But uh, your day job, we were just talking about this off uh, off air. Uh, you're a police officer. So, yeah. you know, as far as your day-to-day right now, um, how do you sort of balance all that with, you know, being a matchmaker, being a manager, and also uh, trying to save uh, people's lives? Yeah, it's 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 a stressful uh, triple threat of a job, you know, to do the, the police work and then the matchmaking, which is probably the most stressful, to be honest with you, and then the management. Um it's it's tough to manage, uh, but I've been doing it so long now that I think even if I dropped one of those things, I would be 
like in need of it. Like, even if I ever wanted to stop, I don't think I could just because I'm so used to that schedule of constantly matching a, a fight card or looking for fights for my guys. And then obviously my career, I work six days in a row and then I get three days off. So um, usually I take my three off days to kind of try and match my cards or, or book fights and, and go from there. So. And how how difficult is it to, to match fights sometimes? Because as we often see, not just on the regional scene, but also on the pro scene, I mean, you have fights that fall out. So are you constantly yeah. just trying to keep an eye on, you know, the, the scene and have sort of backups in case things sort of fall apart? I try to, but now there's, there's so many shows around uh, nowadays, it's hard to always have a backup plan. So, um, and, and now more than ever, you know, these amateur guys are the ones that, you know, you have a lot of backouts and, and there's no, there's no penalty for it, unfortunately for these amateurs. So there's, there's no repercussions for their actions. So if they do back out, it's just, you know, I'll try and get on another card, but I try to avoid using those same amateurs, but yeah, I mean, you're going to have tons of backouts on every show. I try to match, I try to end up on fight night with 12 to 13 fights. I think that's a good amount. Um, yeah. So now I'm having to match at the start of my show. I'm matching 20 fights and know for a fact that I will end up with 10 to 12 fights. That's how it goes all the time. I've never had a show where every fight has stuck. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, no, there's a lot of challenges there, especially, uh, you know, matching and everything. Um, You mentioned some of the names there uh, as far as getting you into matchmaking first. Uh, Is it safe to say those are sort of your mentors uh, as far as the early going? Uh, As far as my mentor, I think Jeff Mullen really just saw – that I was really involved in the MMA community. Um, and, uh, as far as my mentors, as far as MMA went, I would say, uh, definitely David Ferguson, who's one of the the biggest names in the area. And then the guy who I matchmake for now, who took me under his wing, um, Jamie Houston has been my biggest, uh, mentor as far as MMA goes. Um, and, and furthering myself business wise, uh, in this sport, and, um, you know, I matched, I matched one show for one promoter. Um, I got picked up by another promoter the very next, for my very next show, I did four for him. And then Jamie saw what we were doing and he offered me even more money and picked me up from there. And, um, you know, the venue I was doing it at at first, we were packing it out easily and really needed somewhere else to grow. And Jamie was starting his promotion. So he picked me up and I've been with him, uh, ever since, since December, 2013. So. That's awesome. And we'll get to the matchmaking stuff in a little bit because I obviously find that very interesting. But uh, we've got to talk about first round. I mean, I mentioned off the top, you know, they have a huge client list as far as, uh, you know, some of the the guys that are on that roster, you know, John Jones, UL Romero, um, you know, the list sort of goes on here. How did you end up getting a job with first round? Because they're not a big like crew as far as, uh, you know, the people, uh, the, you know, managers. Right. It's not a big crew at all. It's a very solid, tight knit group. And uh, I can't express to you how thankful I am. Uh, to be a part of that group because it's done wonders for me, my family, um, everything. And I'm glad they took a chance on me. But um, I got involved with them. Um, <laughs> Matt Schnell was a part of first round. Um, and he contacted me about getting a fight. I believe he was three three and two at the time coming off of a loss. And um, I wasn't into management, but I, I knew of Matt Schnell. Obviously, I'd seen him on um, Cage on MTV, and I was a big fan of him. I thought he was legit. I thought he had, you know, taken a couple bad fights and and lost those fights. But I, I, I asked him if he was interested in management. He told me he was with first round. However, um, they allowed him to um, kind of they allowed me to step in and and kind of help him, and uh, we began working together and. Um, you know, I think, I think we did great things together. Obviously his skill level is, 
you know, he's on another level than a lot of these guys regionally. And he was taking out guys left and right. And I think we rattled off probably five or six wins in a row. And, and then Abe Kawa uh, hit me up and he's like, hey, man, you know, because I was also hitting up Abe, sending him prospects. I, I really respected Abe. And I was like, hey, man, you need to take a look at this guy. You need to take a look at that guy. And he kept seeing the guys I was sending him. And he was like, man, you know, you need to step on board because we don't have that area necessarily that you're in. So maybe we hire you on so you can get these prospects, you know, to join first round and you'll just be a first round agent. So that's how I got hired on with first round. I was sending them a ton of prospects. And um, the very first prospect I sent them was, uh, was Julia Willis. Oh, and, nice. Yeah. So right when I got hired by first round, uh, you know, obviously I was already managing Matt Chanel at the time, but Julia was the very first prospect I signed with first round. I signed him immediately. Interesting. So. Okay. And and you mentioned it being a small group. So as far as I know, Malky obviously is the one that everyone knows, and Malky Kawa, right. who's you know works with John Jones. You have yep. Abe, his brother, and then there's Maurice as well, who I've you know worked with a little Maurice bit. Maurice got a ton of guys in the UFC. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy the rot the amount of fight, you know, because you think of some of these other management teams that do have a lot of clients, but first round as well. I mean, like every now and then I'll, you know, because I follow Maurice on Instagram, it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot that they're part of first yeah. round as well. So. Robert Watley, who I know you're a big fan of. So. I am, yeah. Robert's uh yeah, he's he's quite he, the LFA champ. So Yep. So we have uh, uh, Malky, Abe, Maurice, obviously, and then um, a guy that doesn't get a lot of exposure. Um, mm-hmm. He's very under the radar is Lou DeBono. He's actually, I believe, the vice president of uh, the MMA management um, side of first round because, you know, they're branching out into the NFL and everything now. Yeah, I did see that. But, yep. uh, Lou is the one that really is going to be, uh, aside from John and Tyron and Demetrius, those guys – you know, Lou is the one that's going to be in contact with with Mick and Sean um, about all of our guys. You know, he's he's like the direct connection um, to the UFC for us. He 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 handles all that, and he's been an amazing help to me um, ever since I've been with First Round since April 2015. So Lou is uh, another one, and then we have a couple other agents that are on. I know Ian Valencia down in uh, Pensacola, Florida. We have a lot of a lot of help, um, but. You know they're they're constantly bringing in new guys. Um, I'm not familiar with everybody just yet, but they're you know they're doing their best to hit every single market, and I'm just glad that I got on board you know really early. And there's also Jason Rivera, who's up in New York, who um who I you know I've, I've grown to be good friends with as well. So that's great. And how do you guys sort of stay in touch? Is it like a group chat or like how do you sort of touch base chat, to say yeah. hey this is what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> it's a group chat. Yeah, and um you know a lot of times. I just, I, my last midnight shift was last night actually at the police department. So now I'm, I'm moving to uh afternoon shift, thankfully, because every day I wake up and I have, cause I, I sleep late because I get off at 7am. Right. So every day I wake up and I have 50, 60 group messages. Like it's, it's crazy. So finally I get to keep up with everything as it happens, but yes, we all stay in touch um, via group message. A lot of times they'll have a matchmaker hit them up. Um, for, for bigger shows and they'll say, Hey, does anybody have this guy at this weight? Somebody that's, that's ready. And, um, and that's the good thing about us. We don't, we don't like to just throw our guys in there. You know, like we like to pick the person who is ready for that fight. I may, I may, I may have really good guys, but at the same time, I know what level they're at. And I know that, Hey, this guy may need a couple more years of, uh, of grooming or a few more fights to, to be ready for that challenge. So I'll let another agent, step in and put their guy in or something like that, you know, and it's just, it's a very tight knit group and, and we stay in touch almost every day. Okay. 
That's interesting. Um, how do you go about finding clients? Is there anything in particular, any qualities, anything that you sort of look at when you're looking to bring someone on? Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very uh, particular about my clients. Um, I will say the very first thing that uh, that I used to look at was I wanted them to be in my region. I, I wanted guys from my area to get better opportunities. Um, you know, I try to stay away from guys who are already in the UFC. I'm more, I consider myself a prospect builder. That's, that's what I feel like I am. That's what I feel like I've done. And that's what I like to do. I like, I enjoy doing that. Um, building, help building guys up. Um, you know, like Matt Schnell, when we got him, trust me, it has nothing to do with me. Um, his skill is what got him where he is, but I, I, I love seeing where he started and where he is now. You know, I, I want that experience. I don't want to sign them when they're already there. So I look for guys that have really good amateur careers and that uh, can finish fights, get along with promoters. Um, and, and it is a business side. Hopefully they can sell tickets too. So promoters will um, be more inclined to put them on shows. But um, I, I love undefeated amateurs. Um, a lot of times I like to see how they're tested as pros. I really don't like guys who have been spoon fed um, that just feel like they should be in the UFC because they're Six and oh seven no, but they've never fought anybody with a winning record. I, I don't. I try to stay away from that. Um, I'm not a fan of that. I feel like if you if you want to be in the UFC, you better be one of the best in the world, and and that's what I try and sign. So. And uh, another one of your big clients, I mentioned it there off the top, uh, Chase Sherman. And uh, I got to give you some props, man, because I know uh, you know you you've helped him in, in this regard as well too. But I have not seen, and I you know I talked about this a couple months back on Twitter. You know, you, it, Chase has really uh, created a following for himself, and it's not easy to do, uh, especially in the UFC, where a lot of it is, hey, you got to market yourself, you've got to promote yourself. But Chase has right. really created a big following, and it seemed like it happened a couple fights into his UFC contract. Yeah. Uh, what sort of changed with him? How did he end up becoming this, uh, you know, this this big sort of hardcore follower? Right. Well, he got signed um, after the Jack May fight in Titan. Right. It took a little bit, but he did get signed on short notice to fight uh, Justin Ledette. So, you know, he came in and had a, a fun fight with Justin Ledette, but he, he, he took that loss. And then we jumped right back in there on another short notice fight and took a loss to Walt Harris. Um, however, when, we, you know, Chase has gotten, uh, I believe he's had five fights in the UFC. He's a big company, man. He steps up for these guys. And um, I believe four of them have been on short notice. Um, so, you know, we took the Rashad Coulter fight. Actually, it was he was supposed to fight one of the Russians that just got cut. Um, I, I can't even remember his name, but he he backed or Dimitri something. I don't even know how to yeah, pronounce. Yeah, yeah, I'll probably butcher his last name too. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> he backed out, and um, Rashad Coulter stepped in, and that fight was just—I mean, you saw it. Yeah, you know, that was great. So, you know, right after the fight, he got the fight of the night bonus, and it was on the FX prelim. So. We had a ton of exposure. We got together. I said, Chase, you know, now is when we we jump on it and, and we and we market ourselves. It's tough to market yourself after a loss. And the fans, I mean, you 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 know, you see it on Twitter. You see how fans are towards these fighters. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but coming off of a barn burner heavyweight fight like that, that's when you got to market yourself. And we we came up with some ideas to, uh, you know, that we figured would probably help further his brand. And he jumped on it and ran with it and was gifting every, or was gifting, jiffing, whatever, gifting, jiffing things nonstop on Twitter and replying to everybody. I mean, he really took the time 
to to get in there and interact with fans and became a real fan favorite. Now, obviously, you're always going to have your trolls and stuff. I like to scroll through from my Twitter and see all his fans, and, and I like to screenshot it and send it to him and, and see his reaction. But he's really embraced the social media game and the marketing yourself um, rather than just I'm in the UFC and, and you know, I'm just going to – I've made it so I don't have to do anything. No, he continues to market himself in a really big way. Yeah, so, and if you remember, I gave I, I gave Chase some props. You know, this was a couple months back, and I remember Elias Theodore chimed in, and, and the thing I told Elias at the time because Elias right. was like, you know, I've done such a good job with my social media. Elias had a platform when he started. He was on the Ultimate Fighter. People knew him from there, and you know, obviously, he has a lot of other things outside of the sport. But what mm-hmm. I find so remarkable what Chase has done is because he's just, I mean, really, he was just sort of a number on on the heavyweight roster, and he's really right. sort of made himself a brand. And I think that's he's so key, uh, you know, for a lot of fighters, and I, and I think it's a good catalyst for other fighters to look at and say, look, be interactive. If it's free marketing, you can get your name out there and whether people like you or hate you, they're still talking about you. Right. So, right. That's right. And, and, and I'm kind of a believer in, in, in all exposure is good exposure, whether it's good or bad, you know, as long as you're getting your name out there, I mean, obviously don't do, don't do something stupid, but you know, it, whether they like you or hate you, you're never going to please everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go out and knock somebody out in one minute and then somebody says, Oh, well, you know, he can't fight in Ganu and Ganu will knock his head off or something like that. You know, like you're never going to please everybody, no. but as long as they're talking about you, you know, the UFC sees that, you know what I mean? They don't completely take it into account. I'm sure. However, you know, they, they see what he's doing to, to help market himself. And I'm sure they appreciate that. So. And and from that, I mean, you got Chase on the, on the MMA hour. I mean, that doesn't happen for a lot of fighters. And, you know, that's the premier show if you're going to be a fighter to, to be on. Um, how did that sort of get arranged with him, uh, you know, being in studio? That's pretty cool. Right. Well, Abe, that's, you know, that's where Abe comes in. Someone like that who who deals with the, the you know, higher profile, you know, members of the MMA world. And, uh, you know, Abe pulls strings and gets things like that done. And I think at the time, Chase was really, you know, booming in the MMA community. I mean, I'm sure... He was probably one of the most, uh, not maybe overall one of the most followed fighters, but as far as like an increase in percentage of followers, I'm sure he was right up there. He was getting uh, a lot of exposure and he was very talked about and he was all over the place replying to every MMA related tweet there was. So you you couldn't miss him. So um, I think Ariel saw that and he was the story at the time. So uh, I think he jumped on it, and, and uh, Abe called me and said, hey, Chase has got to fly to New York early because he was fighting Damian Grabowski later that week. And uh, he's like, Chase has got to fly to New York early because um, he's going to be on Ariel's show. So it was a pretty cool experience for him. And then another thing I know that I'm sure you had a hand in as well, or I don't know if this was Abe, but uh, getting him to train at Jackson's, um, you know, obviously there's that relationship with First Round and John Jones, so I'm sure that helped. But how did that get set up? Because I know Chase does all of his camps there now. Yeah, uh, Abe. Abe, Abe's a man. Okay. He's got all these connections. And um, obviously, you know, there's nothing wrong with where Chase trains. Uh, I love all those guys. I manage other guys out of that gym um, down at Belcher's. They have a great camp. It's probably the best camp in our area for sure. Um, however, Chase just doesn't have the heavyweight bodies that he needs there. So, um, and, and Chase knows that. And he knew that at Jackson's, there were heavyweight bodies that he needs. At any given time, you could walk in and find a top 10 heavyweight in the world to, to train with. And when he first went out there, you know, John was his his main training partner and he was getting a lot of work in with him. And after he went to Jackson's, he won his, uh, his next two fights back. And, um, you know, when he's able, and then that's the thing, he's been taking short notice fights. Um, but at heavyweight, that opportunity's there. And and you don't know when you're going to get a fight in the UFC. There's guys that are on the shelf for eight to 10 months. So when an opportunity comes, he's going to jump on it. He's going to fly out to Jackson's, get his four to five week, weeks of work in with coach wink and, uh, and, and be ready to fight.
So, and, and Chase, you know, love him or hate him, you're going to be watching because he never goes to the ground. He's going to stand and bang the entire time. Um, I, he texted me some stats the other day. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he throws an insane amount of significant strikes per minute. Never been taken down in the UFC. Everyone he fights, they just stand and bang and someone, someone goes to sleep, you know? Yeah, no, it's yeah. always entertaining uh, watching him fight. Now, what I find interesting with his next fight is that Justin Willis, whose opponent, is also a first-round client. How did right. that come together with uh, them fighting each other? Was that sort of you guys had to do this, or, or did you want this to happen? Chase wanted to fight uh, really bad. You know, um, obviously that last fight left a bad taste in his mouth. And um, from my understanding, Justin was kind of in the same spot as far as really wanting to fight, needing a fight. But Mick didn't really have anything available. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, they like to put a lot of guys on um, that maybe they won't offer so many fights during the year because they, you know, they have to offer a certain amount of fights per year to these guys. So Chase had fought five times in, you know, 15 months. So we knew he probably wasn't going to get a quick fight offer. They're going to say, hey, he's already, you know, he's been the most active heavyweight in the past year and a half. You know, he can wait a minute. So Chase really wanted to fight, um, which is understandable. You know, it's his main source of income. Um, and, and from what I understand, Justin was in the same boat. He really wanted to fight. So Mick obliged Justin said, well, if they both really want to fight, then let's put them together. You know what I mean? And, and, it, and it happens in this sport. You know, I, I don't know Justin Willis personally. He's Maurice's client. Um, but in this sport, you know, we have 50 plus guys in the UFC. Eventually, they're going to be matched together. You know, you had Tyron Woodley and Carlos Condit fight each other. They're both first, first round guys. You know, I mean, it happens. We got a lot of welterweights in the UFC. Um, you know, and it, it happens very often, actually, that that our clients end up fighting each other in the UFC. Yeah, it's just inevitable. Um, now, as far as matchmaking, making kind of sticking on that note, um, do you have any input in that? Or is that do you sort of leave that up to Chase's coaches? Like, how does that uh, happen as far as him taking fights and accepting fights? Basically, we get the offer uh, from the UFC and then we'll text the chase, say, hey, talk with your coaches. Tell us what you think. Um, and then we let the coaches make the decision. I mean, a lot of times you really don't have a lot of say in the UFC unless you're, you know, a top 10 guy, you know, you can pick and choose. Plus they can extend your contract if you, if you turn a fight down. Um, so we try to be company men, you know, we're not really in a position to pick and choose who we fight. You know, they, they gave us two good fights in a row with Chase, um, with Rashad and Damian, no, no disrespect to those guys, but we got, we got two good fights out of that. And, um, you know, Chase is borderline right now, um, top 20, um, you know, the, the guys he's lost to are right, right at the top 15, maybe right outside it. So, and that's about where Justin Willis is. He's a good prospect and, um, it's a, it's a good matchup. It's a good fight. And talking about some of your other clients, uh, Jaleel Willis, what's the latest on him? I know he had that really good fight with uh, Kyle Stewart. I know it didn't go his way, but uh, again, I mean, I, I said it heading into the fight. I mean, that's two of the best welterweight prospects facing off against each other. You know, someone had to win, someone had to lose. Absolutely. And I don't think, I think you're probably under the same uh, impression. I don't believe Jaleel Willis uh, lost any stock after that no, fight. No, a lot of people feel that way, and I think even Legacy feels that way. And uh, you know he's signed by Legacy. He's signed to a multi-fight deal with them. So we're just waiting to hear what's next from them. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what's next. We're we're ready to go. You know, he didn't take any damage in the Kyle fight. It was a great fight, a UFC caliber fight. But uh, Jaleel is one of those guys, and I love Jaleel to death. And like I said, I signed him first. I knew him. Um, we're both from Memphis, Tennessee. I knew him well before this. So I, I'm his friend before his manager. And um, Jaleel is one of those guys, man. He's just, he wants to be the best in the world and he's willing to do what it takes to be the best in the world. And he's not one of those guys that thinks, oh, I'm eight. No, I'm, I'm ranked, 
you know, I believe he's number three on, on the, uh, the rankings um, yeah. guys do. He's not one of those that says, well, I should be in the UFC. Well, cause we've had the conversation of you want to be absolutely ready when you get to the UFC. You don't want to be the guy that gets to the UFC because you're a top prospect and then you drop your first two fights and then you're gone and you spend your entire career fighting just to get back to the UFC. We don't want that. We want him to succeed when he gets there. So he fought Kyle Stewart. Great fight. Kyle's a great fighter, a great opponent. We knew what that fight was. We absolutely knew what that fight was. It was it was the toughest fight that he could find other than uh, James Nakashima. Both of those guys, all three of those guys belong in the UFC, 100%. But if anything, it gives Jaleel more time to improve, get better, and, uh, and, and um, you know, I, we'll see him in the UFC at some point for sure. It's just – it's a blessing. I mean, it gives him more time. He's not getting thrown into the UFC immediately after that fight. Um, and I think Kyle understands that as well. I mean, he, he made it clear after the fight. He said, I'm not ready. You know, I, I need what he's ready. They're all, they're all ready. Mm-hmm. James, Jaleel and Kyle are all ready, you know, but I think they all have the right mindset that, you know, it just gives us more time to improve. By the time we get there, we'll be even more ready. I have no problem with that thought process. Um, you know, obviously at first, when you first start, managing, you know, you want to tell your guys anything and, and get them to the UFC as fast as possible. That's because you want to have a guy in the UFC so bad. It's like an accomplishment. My goal when I started managing was I wanted to have a guy in the UFC by the time I'm 25. That was my goal. Um, now that we have two in or I have two in and others that are on the cusp of it, you know, it doesn't matter when they get there. I just want them to be successful when they're there, not just make it. There's no point in just making it if you're going to get, you know, cut after two fights, you know, you want to get there and be successful. So, and, uh, sticking with, uh, you know, getting to the UFC, uh, you've got Luis Pena and you've got Bryce Mitchell on the upcoming season of the ultimate fighter. Um, what can we expect from these guys? And, and I got to mention too, uh, if people have the chance, go watch the fight. If you can on flow combat between, uh, Luis Pena and Kobe wall, what a war that was. Um, that's the type of fight that's going to, you know, get uh, people uh, keeping an eye out uh, for you, but, but yeah, what can we expect this season? Absolutely. Those guys, man. Um, you know, obviously, uh, it's all confidentiality on their part. And, um, you know, uh, I've been informed that the season's going to be amazing. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. 
I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. That the fights are amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I kept in touch with the producers of the show during the show, asking about the guys, how they were doing. Um, not not fight-wise. I know they can't release that information. However, they did tell me that, you know, Bryce Mitchell is going to be a, a fan favorite. You know, everyone loves him there. He makes everybody laugh. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't really know Bryce Mitchell yet, but uh, when they do, they'll see the personality he has. He's a, he's a very interesting character, and uh, he's going to gain uh, America's love on this show. And, and then as far as Luis Pena, um, you want to talk about branding yourself mm-hmm. like Sherman's doing? Luis Pena has that down to a science right now with this violent Bob Ross nickname. He, he's going to be a superstar. They're both going to be superstars very soon. Very soon. Yeah, and by the way, I think that nickname just, uh, came from Flow Combat because I think it was Hunter yeah. or someone over there who uh, you know made a comment calling yeah. him you know because he said he looks like Bob Ross, and now yeah. it's stuck. It's like his brand name. I think that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it is cool. It fits. It's and Lewis is uh, you know I actually had Lewis on my show as an amateur twice, and I can honestly say he's he's one of the most impressive amateur fighters I've ever seen. Um, along with Bryce, Bryce was another guy that was untouchable. Um, and, uh, man, those guys, not only are they marketing themselves well, you know, Bryce's nickname is Thug Nasty, um, but they're not only marketing themselves uh, well, they can actually back it up. Those guys are complete savages, and um, you will see a lot of them in the future, 100% guarantee. Those who, guys are some are- other, who, are there, who are some other clients that you have that maybe aren't on, you know, any of the bigger shows, but are someone we should be keeping an eye on? I know you don't exclude anyone, but if there's, you maybe just throw one name <laughs> or something board. that uh, I, got, keep an eye on. I got my uh, my client board over here in my office upstairs. Um, there's a lot. I have 16 guys now. You know, at awesome. first I was very very picky, um, but at the same time, you know, the guys were like, "Look, you don't always have to have the number one prospect," and I'd say you can sign the second and third best. I like to. I don't really tell people this, but I like to lay out my clients in tiers, you know, a tier five would be someone like, you know, a super red hot prospect, like your Lewis Pena, your Jaleel Willis, your Bryce Mitchell. And if we go a little bit down from there that I, on guys that I like to progress a little slower, um, that I feel like, you know, maybe in a year they'll be ready for tougher competition. Um, but I have, I have 16 guys and I'll just, you know, without trying to exclude anybody, I'll avoid the guys that are just now starting their pro careers. I signed some really high level amateurs that I, I know will be fast rising pros, but just to avoid um, that, my guys that are probably more LFA ready mm-hmm. uh, would be, I have, uh, I mean, obviously Derek Krantz. I manage Derek Krantz. Oh, that's right. D-Rock. D-Rock. Yeah. You know, he's, I mean, he's, he's been around forever. Uh, James Wallace. I don't know if you know James Wallace. Yeah. Name sounds familiar for sure. Yeah. Beast and um, hopefully, well, he's he's been scheduled to fire for LFA before an injury um, pulled him out. So we're trying to get him on an LFA card this summer. Um, you'll probably see him on there. He's a six and two lightweight, very well could be eight no. Um, he's he got robbed on a split decision in uh, in June. Great fight against another under, undefeated fighter. I won't say he got robbed. It was a great fight, but he mm-hmm. could very well be eight no. And he's a finisher. He's got six wins, six finishes, and that's like I said before. That's the kind of guy that I want to sign is guys that go in there and finish fights. Um, he was a blue belt, went on Bellator and, and submitted a black belt in the second round. I mean, he's, he's a stud, um, Kyle Hughes, who just got a massive knockout on my show. Um, two weekends ago, he's a four and O featherweight 
only loss as an amateur was to Luis Pena. (laughs) So that that was a questionable loss. You know, it was an early stoppage on an arm bar with no tap. So I love both the guys. I can't really, you know, go back and forth on that because they're both my clients, but he's another stud. So James, Kyle, and then I'd say the the next guy that's at that level um, is uh, Jason Cephalou, who's down at Allen Belchers. A lot of people don't know him. He's a 3-0 flyweight, three knockouts, and he has been pro for probably five years. Nobody will fight him. I'm telling you, he is a savage. And you will see him uh, on my show, I believe, in June. And then he's he's LFA ready. He there's a guy in LFA right now, um, Jeremiah Cullum. He's like six and one or six and two or something like that. And Jason uh, finished him in like a minute with a nasty cut over the eyebrow. He just demolished him. So he's a beast. And those are some of my my up and coming guys. And then obviously I'm grooming, you know a lot of these younger guys that are haven't quite started or they may be one and over two and oh, but those guys are the most ready for the, uh, for the bigger shows. So we talked earlier about uh, challenges with the job, just with the fact that, you know, you have the full-time job, um, you know, you have everything else that's going on with the matchmaking and all that. But uh, I know something that happens often in uh, management is poaching, client poaching. You, have you ever experienced that at all? Just with any of your clients? Yeah. Um, I do experience that. Um, I think we all do really, you know, yeah. I don't client poach. I will manage someone to ask them if they are under management. And if they tell me that they are under management, I let it go. Um, I don't want it to happen to me. So I don't do it to other people. And and that's the worst thing that can happen is I want my guys to trust me completely. If they don't trust me completely, then I don't want to have them. And you have guys that will get in their ear and tell them anything they want to hear to get them signed. When I'm a guy that like you may be eight and oh, and you may have three finishes and five decisions. And if you ask me if I can get you in the UFC, I'll say, yeah, eventually when you start finishing more fights, you know, I'm just being real with you. I'm not trying to tell you what you want to hear. I'm telling you, if I send your name to Sean Shelby and you got five decisions and and three finishes, he's going to tell me he's not finishing fights. I don't want him right now. And that's a fact. So When you have client poaching, you have guys from these other management companies that come in and they say, oh, your managers aren't doing enough. You know, you should be in the UFC and it gets in their head. And then, you know, they run with it. And then, you know, you can't stop them, you know. So uh, you'll you'll never you'll never prevent that problem. But I myself will uh, I stay away from that. I don't like to like to do that. If they tell me they have a manager, then I don't message them back. I leave it at that now. You will have some guys. I have guys that are under management contracts with other people that hit me up. Um, you know, obviously I won't. Right. Put yeah. Them out there, but you know, they hit me up, and I'll tell them, "Look, here's what I can do." Um, but I don't want you to just drop your guy. Like I want, I want there to be a reason why you're coming to us, and I will never promise you something that I don't know a hundred percent for a fact that I can do. So, poaching is a, is a very real thing. It happens. And uh, it will never be avoided. And uh, I know another uh, big thing that's happening in your life, you're going to be a dad soon. Um, how have you and your wife sort of uh, calibrated your schedule, you know, leading up to when this happens? Because obviously you got to manage your time a little bit differently when you're a dad. Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's going to be my fourth job. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's coming up. It's three weeks away. I believe we, we just left a, our uh, appointment and uh, – they said they're probably going to go ahead and induce labor uh, April 19th. So it's three weeks from today. Um, I don't know if you can ever be quite ready for it, 
Um, I feel like I'm ready, but you know, I'm just ready for it to be here. You know, pregnancy is a long thing. It's a long time, but, uh, I'm ready for the, for the, the challenge. You know, I I really wanted a boy we have and a girl. Um, so it's going to be a, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to do with a girl, you know, like all I think about is like a teenager and, you know, that's my only thought when I think about a girl as a teen is having a teenage girl and dealing with all those problems, but I'm ready for it now. You know, um, I'm very, very excited. She's very excited. She's on bed rest right now. Um, so it's, it's going to be uh, a time consuming thing, but I'll still get, I'll get my work done. I'll get my work done. Yeah. So. And, and, I, and I should mention that you kind of alluded to here. I mean, you're a young guy. I mean, the, the fact that you are doing all this at you know, your age and, and still, uh, you know, finding success and you're being a dad, I think, you know, being a father is probably just like par for the course uh, with everything else you got going on. Cause it's tough to manage, uh, you know, multiple things. Yeah. You know, I, like you said, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm 24. Um, I'll be 25 this summer and I've been, I've been doing, I've been matchmaking since I was 19 and managing since I was 20. And I think that was one of my things that a lot of people didn't really expect much from me because I was younger. Um, but I feel like I've proven myself um, in the MMA industry. And I think I'll probably get a little more respect um, when I'm a little older, you know, I'm still young. And, uh, you know, that that's the thing, like uh, just about all those guys that I manage are older than me. You know, yeah. and uh, I'm glad they took a took a leap of faith with me, and they they've seen what I can do for those guys. And you know, I'm I'm all about my guys, and uh, you know, I have nothing but time. I'm, I'm still, like you said, still very very young in this. I have a lot of years to improve in everything that I do, and I look forward to it. You know, um, I've always been busy. I'm going to continue to stay busy, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the the next many years to come in this sport. We've got some questions here in the chat, and we also had some questions submitted uh, submitted earlier. So we're, I want to get your thoughts on these. Uh, we got Dean D in the chat, a uh, guy who's you know big supporter of this show and always watches my stuff. So thanks, Dean, for the question. He says, "Can Matt share any stories of dealing with Joe Silva or UFC matchmakers? I heard Silva can be rather mean over email. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I mean, say, say what you can, I guess, if you have had to deal with uh, it. Yeah, the only look, the only time I ever dealt with Joe Silva because, you know. I only dealt with Joe Silva one time and that was when um, right before he retired, we were trying to get chase in the UFC. Um, you know, that was when I was like, man, we got to get this guy in the UFC. He's eight and one, eight knockouts, um, blah, blah, blah. But really Abe was the one dealing with it. But Abe was telling me, you know, like uh, <laughs> we couldn't get him in at the time. Um, he just won uh, against Jack May. And uh, <laughs> he had an interesting comment about chase's loss. I won't, I won't really get into it. It's just, it it was kind of along the lines of what the question is. You know what I mean? It was just a, it was an interesting comment about Chase's loss at the time. And uh, we just kind of backed off a little bit at that point and didn't ask anymore. And then, but, but he knew Chase. And then maybe like two weeks later, we got the call up. It's just, you know, you got to imagine being in Joe Silva's or Mick Maynard's or Sean Shelby shoes. I mean, I would probably be the same way. Just the constant, berating from people of getting this guy in the UFC and like I don't know what Joe went through I don't know what Sean goes through but I know Mick Maynard on social media I have him on my social media and I know people tag him in the dumbest things <laughs> all along so uh I can see why Joe Silva was uh seen as that way I, I mean after how long he was matchmaking I could totally totally see that so <laughs> but yeah that's the only time I, I ever had any kind of uh, interaction with Joe Silva was with Chase and uh, Dean also asked something you talked about earlier. He says, uh, with Matt being so young, was he disrespected by the elders in MMA? And if so, how did he handle it? So how did you handle it? 
Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I was right off the bat, maybe not now, um, because I think I've, you know, I've had success and uh, my guys have had success and uh, my guys will vouch for me. But uh, I think right off the bat, you know, when I started matchmaking, I, I was the only employee. Like I had a promoter, but he didn't – he was more of like ran a uh, ran a, a business downtown. And it was like, hey, here's my venue. I'm going to give you some money to do a show. Here's your show. And um, I was very – I felt very disrespected by certain people um, that are in the MMA community that, you know, immediately try to run my show out. Um, and oh, he's young. He doesn't know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. He was just an amateur fighter. Um, so, yeah, at – Early on, yes, I was. I feel that way. Uh, now it's more of a, a business aspect to everything, and I feel like um, I don't have to like you necessarily, but I can do business with you. You know, if you need me, if you need my guys, my guys need you, and we'll leave it at that. You know, I can respect you in public. I can respect you to your face, but, like, at the same time, you know, there's definitely people in the MMA community that, you know, get under your skin a little bit, but, you know, business is business. We move forward. And kind of on that same note, uh, we got another uh, question here um, from uh, Luis at uh, Flow Combat, actually, a guy that I work with. He asks, uh, what kind of stuff gets journalists blacklisted by managers and management? Kind of on the same note, we were just talking about the disrespect factor there. I could probably answer this, but I want to hear. As far as journalists. Yeah. Oh, man. As far as journalists go, I think I may have lashed out one time. um, And that was probably there's a couple out there that get under my skin. First off, anyone who's doing this for the betterment of these guys is what I is what I like. You are my favorite out of everybody. I've told you that before, um, and that's because you don't just man uh, message the high profile guys. You take the time to sit down and talk with guys that they've never had any kind of exposure. So guys like you are guys that are bettering the uh, the journalism world as far as the MMA media. But you have a select few on Twitter who all they do is bash no matter what. Um, I won't name drop, but I'm sure everybody kind of gets who I'm talking about. There's one for sure. Um, but man, all they do is bash and it's, it's ridiculous. You know, like you don't know what these guys go through. You, you don't know the sacrifices that these guys make and, uh, you know, telling them how to fight fights is just, you know, I'm a manager. I don't tell them how to fight their fights. My job is to manage. That's the coach's job to tell them how to fight fights. In my opinion, journalism, I mean, you can critique, uh, obviously I, I'm not a journalist, so I don't know. But at the same time, when I see the same person tweeting and all they tweet is negativity towards these fighters, that's what gets under my skin and that's it. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, just to kind of add on that too, I mean, you don't have to be like, no one's asking you as a journalist to be like a PR machine, like just be honest, right. but be fair. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? Like yeah. if, if you're going to say something, uh, you know, disrespect, like you should just keep things professional. I, I always tell, you know, I talk about this a lot on the show, you know, don't be a fan, you know, don't like, like, uh, don't be a fan in the sense of like trying to stir things up. Like nothing annoys me more when I'll see like a journalist tag one fighter and say, this guy's scared to fight this guy. Like, that's not your place to say that you're, you're supposed to be professional. You're supposed to be, you know, down the line unbiased. And, and I do see that every time and again, I just shake my head. So, yep. And it bothers me because I, I know what these guys go through. I talk with these guys on a daily, weekly basis. Um, you know, people don't know what Chase Sherman's going through in his personal life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but all he's doing is trying to better himself and better his life for himself and his son. 
And, uh, you know, you don't know what he's going through in, in his life. There's no reason for you just because he's a what because he's an athlete. You can you can talk down to him. But you know what? You'll never say it to his face. I can promise you that if you're at a show, you won't say it to his face. You know, so keep that to yourself. He went out and he fought his ass off five times in 15 months for the UFC. And you have these these trolls that, you know, they want to talk about <laughs> this and that. And it's it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? And it's that way with everybody. Same with Matt Schnell. You know, he stepped in on short notice and fought freaking Rob Font, you know, up a weight class. That's right. And, you know, everybody wants to make jokes about fighters getting knocked out or whatever, and that's fine. But if you don't go through what that fighter goes through, you know, Matt Schnell is the ultimate um, example of someone that chased a dream. You know what I mean? Like he literally moved from his hometown, his family, down to American Top Team at the time and, uh, and, and chased that dream and went from three and two to 10 and two and legacy champ. And then got on the ultimate fighter, chase that dream even further. And then we got him in the UFC on, on short notice. And, and, you know, you just see these guys that, that talk down to them. They have no idea the sacrifices that these guys make. And, uh, and, and they're just plain and simple. They're cowards. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, and by the way, that was Lucas who submitted the question. I don't know why I said Luis. I guess I'm still thinking I of Luis Pena. I started thinking it was Pena, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, no, as, as much as I like Luis, he's not yeah. submitting questions here. Sure. Uh, we do have some more questions in the chat, but I wanted to get a Lucas's uh, second question here. He says, uh, how do you uh, decide which uh, interviews, uh, what interviews your, your clients do? Um, you know, how, how do you sort of go about that? Because I know it's a little bit different than obviously, uh, you know, some of the bigger names as far as, you know, selecting who they want to do interviews with. Right. Um I like to 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 put them on, you know. Dis, no disrespect to to some of the smaller um, MMA media outlets, but I like I like guys that are about the fighters, and I like guys that can do something for my client. Not so much my client doing something just for your show and not getting anything in return. Um, now, like with you, you you'll all I've told you before, you'll always have first dibs on my guys um, because I know what you've done. Um, with your time. I mean, this is your free time and you do it for all these guys and it's, it's amazing. So you'll always have first dibs. People like flow combat flow. I love flow combat. I love Dwayne yep. and Hunter. Um, I think they do an awesome job. I think they're amazing for the sport and that's the kind of, of uh, exposure that the sport needs. It doesn't need you down talking everybody, you know, like they give constant, they're always on there giving um, love to these fighters and love to Luis Pena for sure. So uh, guys like that will always, you know, get the interview they want. Um, and, you know, my guys at the time, like, you know, they have a lot of training to do. So when we can book interviews, we book interviews. We don't overbook them. I, a lot of my guys don't even like doing interviews, to be, on, to be honest with you. They're a little uncomfortable with them because they haven't had any um, time speaking in front of somebody. But I tell a lot of them that are, you know, going up the ranks a little bit more, I try to get them you know, hey, you got to be prepared for this kind of stuff because you're going to be interviewed a lot once you make it to the big show. So, um, but yeah, I, I try to pick the guys that that I know of personally that do great things for the fighters that don't down talk um, fighters very much. I, and, and if I ever see somebody that I know has down talked one of my fighters, we can just go ahead and ignore that message. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, it's uh, I, sort of common sense for most of us. But, uh, you know, for, for people that don't know, that's sort of what you have to do. And again, uh, one thing you touched on as well is, you know, reputation, you know, interview guys, uh, you know, get get your name out there, build a brand. Uh, you know, don't just expect like I say this all the time on the show, like don't think you're going to get Max Holloway right out of the gate if you're just starting right. out. Like that yeah. should be common sense. But, yeah, you know. common sense. Yeah. And, and another thing, you know, I, I, I try to watch when when we do choose someone, I try to watch all my guys interviews and you know, there's certain questions that I would prefer that they would avoid. Like, you know, Chase Sherman, he trains with John Jones. Okay. Don't ask him about John's 
personal life and of things course. like that. You know, don't don't put my guy on the spot with something that's just a ridiculous question that he's not going to answer. You know, if if I see something like that, then I may kind of hold off on that person as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. You got to be uh, smart when it comes to that stuff. Uh, we're going to go back to the chat here. This is actually a good question. I like this one. Uh, it's from Behind the Scenes MMA. He asked, should a manager promote fighters with trash talk like Ali Abdelaziz does with Khabib? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my take I on it. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a good idea, personally, because yeah. if the fighter loses or you know anything like that. I got like, a call from, uh, from Abe. I don't know if that was a, a good or bad thing. Okay. Um. <laughs> Hopefully it's not something about somebody getting a UFC call, but, uh, but, um, we're, we're going to wrap up here soon too. We just have, no, a, you're fine, just, you're fine. it's yes. no big deal. I'm all good. I promise. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. I'm not going to down him for that. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do to, to get big fights like that. And, um, if, if it does better things for his fighter, then, then go for it. You know what I mean? I, I I'm not one to sit here and down talk, uh, another agent for his tactics, um, like that, you know, if if you want a really big fight, you got to go get it. And, you know, they got the big fight. Congrats to them. It's a great fight. I can't wait to watch it. But, uh, you know, I see what he does and I don't, I don't have a problem with it. So. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think, I, I think I, my, I, my, my perspective is if it works, it really works and it really helps yeah. you out. I if it does do it, work, it matters, but yeah, yeah, exactly. It, I don't have a problem with it. It's fine. Cause like even an example, I like would, when, I when wouldn't could, do it. <laughs> yeah you don't strike me as the type no i was gonna say because like you know when ali did the whole talking for khabib leading up to the first ferguson fight and then uh you know uh khabib had the issue with the weight i mean it looked that much worse on khabib because there was all this buildup. Right. um but now of course right. you know he's in a great position you know with the win over barbosa so it, it kind of you know i it, it can work but it can also backfire too so i think you have to be cautious about it i'm not saying you shouldn't do it but i think that uh there's definitely some some high risk and some uh you know some high uh high reward as well if it, if it does end up working right. out here um yeah, so I mean that that's pretty much all I have here for the program here, uh, Matt. I really wanted to thank you for the time today. It's always a uh, good catching up with you. I know you got that uh, phone call to get to, but um, when's what, what's sort of next for Summit Fighting Championships? If people are wondering, and uh, anything else you got coming up client wise for your uh, clients, by all means, plug that. The floor is yours, sir. For sure. Um, yeah, Summit Fighting Championships. Our next show is going to be June 9th in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, we got a, a really nice hotbed of fighters down there that are all uh, beasts, and uh, I think. Um, we got several of those guys on the card, so that's going to be a great show. And then we're going back to Tupelo, Mississippi in August. Tupelo is always our biggest show, so we're looking forward to that. As far as my clients coming up, obviously Chase Sherman's fighting April 21st in Atlantic City uh, against Justin Willis. First round versus first round, that's going to be a great fight, a great card. That card's awesome. Um, I will not be able to go to that because it's obviously – two days after my baby's supposed to be here. Um, But, and then, you know, Matt Chanel is booked. They haven't announced his fight yet. um, So we're just kind of waiting on that, but uh, that's going to be a barn burner fight. He's fighting a a really good prospect. So that'll be a good fight. Um, And it's not Shorty Torres. I don't want to lead people. It's not Shorty Torres. I don't know if he got signed or not. It's not him. I said really good prospect. I know people are going to be like, Oh my God, Shorty Torres got signed. No, it's not him, Um, but it is a good prospect. Um, and then I have, you know, I have guys fighting on regional shows around here. And then obviously, you know, America is going to want to tune in for the ultimate fighter this year. Um, it's, it's going to be amazing from what I've heard. Um, both of my guys are stoked about the show. I believe it airs April 18th on FS1. Um, as far as first round, I think we have three clients on the court on, on the show. Um, with two of them being mine, Louis Pena in the lightweight division and then Bryce Mitchell in the featherweight division. And then we also have uh, Dulani Perry in the featherweight. Oh, that's right. Five for LFA. 
That's right. So there's going to be some good fights this year from what I've heard, and uh, it, it's going to be a great show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And there's a Canadian guy on there too, even though they have him down as from Ireland, uh, Brad Katona. Everyone's, yeah. everyone's got to check that out. Uh, Brad's uh, Brad's he's a talent, man. Yes, yeah. he's yeah. very good. Um, yeah. Next week we may or may not do the show. I'm going to be in Brooklyn for UFC 223. Okay. I would like Congrats. to do the show. Yes, thank you, thank you. It's going to yeah. be it's going to be awesome. a good card. It's going to be kind of crazy. Uh, myself and Hunter Homestek will be down there covering nice. all the action for uh, Flow Combat uh, next week. Uh, so that'll be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I got a bunch of interviews for UFC 223. Everyone check those out, both on Fightful and uh, Sports Illustrated MMA. And uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted. Just follow me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports. I'll be giving updates as to what's happening. I'll try and get something done. You know, I never like to skip a week, so we'll, we'll see uh, sort of what happens there. But I want to thank everyone for watching. I want to thank everyone for, who submitted the questions. And I also got to thank Matt, of course, for joining me here on the program. We've been trying to do this for a while, and I finally got you down, so I appreciate it. And, uh, <laughs> everyone, uh, tune in next week, hopefully, and if not, it'll be the week after. So thanks for watching, everyone, and uh, have a good day. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.